Welcome to a football show, Monday edition. Zach Lyons, Braden Gall here, of course, on the 440 Sports Network, brought to you by Sinkers Beverages and the Kingston Group. Zach, I am proud and honored to be back uh, after yeah. a week in Missouri. Uh, very little, very little internet, lots of laking, lots of swimming, lots of hiking. It was fantastic. I loved it. The kids loved it, which was great. Um, I, I, do, I do approve and appreciate some of your commenters, however. And by the way, thank you to Stoney Keeley and to Mike Herndon for filling in. I do appreciate some of the people that watch the show being blissfully happy that I was not around last week, which only hurts a little bit, Zach. It only it hurts only, a just a, Just a little bit. Just a little bit. But honestly, if you took time out of your day to log on to this show to tell Zach and Mike how happy you were that I'm not around, I'm honored by that, honestly. Like, thank you for... for, for uh, for allowing me to live in your head. I do appreciate that. Uh, <laughs> um, so today on the show, there, there's been like this crazy, we'll, we'll touch on some college football stuff a little bit later on, some wild realignment in, in the sport right now with teams leaving, the Big Ten expanding, the Big 12 expanding. Basically, the playoff could change as well due to all this stuff. And so now people are rethinking everything. And so the question then becomes, how does this all impact the SEC and the future of the playoff with teams in the SEC? So we'll kind of tell you some of that stuff a little bit later on in the program. We are just like a couple of weeks away, by the way, from the Vanderbilt Commodores hosting a college football game. I think it's August 26th. It's week zero. There's a college football game in the city of Nashville with a power five football team, if you want to call it that, taking place uh, in the city of Nashville. That's, that's a couple of weeks away. So football is here. Titans training camp, of course, will be the vast majority of the show. Now, go to Sinker's Beverages. Sign up for the in-crowd. Get all your booze there. Such, search or Such. Search Uber Eats for Sinker's Beverages and have the booze delivered directly to your home. They drive so you can drink. Kingston Group, BuildKG.com. Are their great sponsor to locally owned businesses, of course, and Bluegrass, the sister location to Sinker's up there in Hendersonville. So make sure you do your shopping there as well. If you're in the area, proud sponsors of a football show and football, another F-words. On Thursday, we will, there you go, Stony Keeley. That, that's exactly right, by the way. We're not above this. Uh, you can vote for best sports writer in the city, Zach Lyons, if you want, stackintheinbox.com. You could vote for best sports podcast. You could vote for best sports radio network, which I think you could call 440 Sports if you wanted to do that, uh, a radio network. So please, please, you can vote for us there. Best Vote for best podcast and vote for sinkers for best liquor store in because that's what they were last year. They were the best liquor store in the Nashville scenes, best of. They're the reigning champs. So check them out. They've got cool allocations, all kinds of fun stuff. We're going to do a lot of Titans uh, training camp breakdown and analysis today. Stuff that we think we learned, stuff that we didn't learn. But I went on vacation, Zach. Mm -hmm. And I went to a couple of practices before vacation. And when I left for vacation, the interesting discussion I think you and I had on that Thursday and that I had watched on practice for the first couple of days before I left town on a Saturday was the fascinating oj versus jamarco jones debate for right tackle well today i went to practice for the first time since returning from my vacation over the weekend and neither one is a is out there one is no longer a part of the team jamarco jones of course after a, a flagrant disgusting late hit as part of a couple of days worth of fighting and also not being a great football player uh, leads to being cut from the team uh, but OJ, uh, John Jokwo is not out there either. And now it's two players that were not on the team the last time I was at practice fighting for a starting spot. Potentially Chris Hubbard signed and Justin Murray signed. I know Hubbard signed kind of while I was on vacation, but I'm watching practice today and it's not, 
It's not. I, I I go away for one week and we have two totally new names fighting for the right tackle spot. It's it was wild to, to come back the way I did this week. Yeah, and that's one of the things that we don't know, right? Like to me, this all ties into what we were going to talk about is what we know and what we don't know. We have no freaking clue. I think there's my don't knows are kind of like they're safe assumptions, but we kind of there's a big lingering uneasy feeling in the back of your head when you try to, if I don't think anybody's like 100% on this, I think the safe bet is Chris Hubbard, but do they really need to bring in another guy to compete with Chris Hubbard? If they felt good about Chris Hubbard, that's kind of where I'm at with this. Like we don't know who the RT is, the right tackle is. And what we do know about this Tennessee Titans team is that they are looking for uh, pass blockers <laughs> because uh, the guy that they recently signed, Murray, he is a terrible, terrible run blocker. Which Murray? Uh, that's fine. You know what I'm saying? Like, that's totally fine because at this point, I think that they're kind of going with this idea of, okay, you just, we can teach you to be a run blocker, but we have struggled to teach you anybody to be a competent pass blocker. So we are we are bringing in people that are athletic, that can block the, and protect the quarterback, and I think this all means that they're going to be passing a lot more than what anybody wants to give them credit for. I, that, that last part, I think you might be right because they might have to, especially a quick, a quick passing game, which I'm going to get to one of the things. And again, we're going to have the conversation today about Titans training camp through the lens of like things we think we know and things that we don't know. And I think, again... It's not even just one Murray they brought in on the offensive line. There's a Justin and a Jimmy. Uh, Justin, Mike Rabel talked today, was playing both guard and tackle. I didn't see him a ton at tackle on Monday. I did see Chris Hubbard running with the ones, essentially, at right tackle. And then Andrew Ripchick, Rip, Rupchick, if I could say his name correctly, uh, was out there with the twos, and there was a lot of ro rotational stuff there. Um, conversations we had today. Because I my, my one of my things that I think we don't know, and this – it's it's part of the right tackle conversation, but it's not directly that. I think that's the huge biggest question mark. We know who the left tackle is going to be, Andre Dillard. But what we don't know, and in my opinion, I've said this a, a few different times, is the guy who's sort of skating through without any conversation at all is the, the left tackle, Andre Dillard. And from what I gather when I was out, Arden Key had a field day with him. He's going to face a bunch of big-time pass rushers in that first five or six weeks of the season. Andre Dillard is not a, was not a starting player. Now, he lost his job to very, very good starting players in Philadelphia. He was a first-round pick, very athletic. Lots of upside potential there. But I think the thing that gets lost in the right tackle conversation is that they don't even know what they have at left tackle yet. Mike Brabel today said he's getting more comfortable. Okay, that's good news. <laughs> but is he starting caliber above halfway above average we just we don't know what either tackle position really actually is going to look like and that affects protections that affects play calling that affects how many backs you got to keep in i just I, I think andre dillard is one of the least talked about pieces of the puzzle because we're so focused on the I, right tackle. I don't i don't know it maybe maybe you were there for a month uh, did you time travel or something that's all anybody talks about is how shitty oh. andre dillard's been and how much of a problem and issue they they've they've since you've been gone people have completely given up on the offensive line okay. and okay. it's pretty much yeah like okay. it, it's been insane 
the discourse around the offensive line without people just realizing, and I brought it up on a football show on Thursday with Mike, is that we got a guy that hasn't been getting meaningful reps for the last few years. It's going to take a while because not only is he adjusting to a new practice flow, he's adjusting to a new team. He's adjusting to new counterparts on the offensive line. He's adjusting to taking meaningful reps again. It's going to be a little bit. Now, today, according to TD and a couple of the other reports, he got in some wins against Arden Key. But he did. The, the one-on-ones do not benefit the offensive line. It's just like the one-on-ones in, in the defensive backs and the wide receivers. Like In yeah. the one-on-ones, it always skews somewhere. So I don't take too much from the one-on-ones. But what I've heard from the 11-on-11, 7-on-7s, there's a, either you don't hear anything about Andre Diller, which means he's probably doing a good job, or you just hear very negative stuff about Andre Diller, which obviously means he's doing a bad job. That's to be expected. My big thing and the whole big thing in this offensive line is you just have to be better than your you have to be better or as good, depending on the position on the offensive line, as your counterpart last year. So Andre Dillard, all he has to be is better than Andre Dillard. I think expecting Dennis Daly, you mean? Yeah, Dennis Daly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, well, that's all that I agree with. <laughs> that's all he has to be this year because well, he's and signed I think- on a one year contract. That's all he needs. And if he's better than Dennis Daly last year, that does wonders for everything across the offensive line. No, no, no question. I, I guess what I would say is, I guess everybody in the media then while I was gone cut up to what I would have been saying for months, which is we don't know what Andre Dillard is. Now, I did not know that the entire world had soured on the entirety of the offensive line, but heard it, but, but conversation today at practice. Now, to be fair, on Monday, they didn't do a whole lot. The, the fans were there. And Vrabel and the Titans, they just they don't care if the fans are watching anything interesting. They do like these. They did nothing on Monday that was of note. Maybe some two minute stuff and some red zone stuff that was interesting. But largely it was a lot of special teams. It was a lot of sort of these weird one on ones. It was sort of like technique stuff. They didn't really do a lot of football. Uh, That was which was upsetting for me personally, because I was looking forward to watching football. Um, And we'll get to what we saw from both Malik Willis and Will Levis in the two minute drill in just a minute. But. To Ed's question, um, D-line that good or O-line that bad, kind of hard to tell this early. The defense almost always is good in camp at this point. That I would say it's both. I think the offensive line, and I, I'd like to think that this is what I've felt for most of the offseason, that yes, they have some pieces that they have put into places, but we have no clue. Hey, Zach, good to have you back, he says. I, I don't even know if that's the right. Is that the person who hates me? Yeah, that's the, one who's, okay. that's the one who uh, trashed you on Thursday. Okay. All right. Fuck you, Zach. Um, (laughs) (laughs) But thank you. Uh, No, I I just have always had major questions. I think Skaronsky is going to be great, but like people were toying with the idea today on the sidelines of like, well, what happens if they switch Skaronsky and Dillard? And I was like, what? I was like, what? What? (laughs) That's not going to work. Like, is Dillard athletic enough to play guard? Like, sure. Is Skaronsky talented enough to play tackle? Maybe, but like, that's not what they want. They, they don't want. want to change the offensive no. line. Tell the people on the sidelines to fucking open their ears during the press conference. No, no, it's not about that. It's just like what it is. is It's people speculating because of their concern about the quality of the line. And are they going to put the best five out there? Are they going to try to keep a stable organization? Like, you know what I'm saying? When we talk yeah, about this, we, we, keep a, but the best five is the, is the stable thing. Like, I feel like everybody's trying to say, that the best five's not out there in their natural position or in the, the positions at this point, 
the best five, your best five, or I guess right now you could say best four combination is is there. There is no messing with the offensive line to make it better. Right. You're talking about point. you're talking about Dillard, Skaronsky, uh, Brewer, Brewer, and Brunskill in that Brunskill. order. Yeah, in that and order, think- that is your best four, and that is the correct order. Yeah, yes. and, and yeah. messing with that, whether you think that's the best five or not, or best four or not, that is the best four. That's just I, I, I agree. That's just plain as day. I, I agree. I think it's still a bottom third offensive line in the NFL. I think if, it will surprise you. And it, and it's very possible that it could surprise me. If Skaronsky is top 15 pick good and becomes a stable, like above average guard, which is very, very possible, I think they're fine. I think Brewer is going to be better at center. This is all stuff we've talked about. Yeah. I think Brunskill is a, 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 a like-for-like swap for Davis. If he stays healthy, then I think yeah, he's well, going to Davis ain't even staying healthy right now. It, Chicago it, Bears fans are mad. <laughs> If he stays healthy, then I think he's a he's fine. It's not an upgrade. It's not a downgrade. It's it's okay. And then I think Dillard has a ton of upside. But again, this is the stuff we said the day after they signed him. Yeah, this is a former first round pick with a lot of upside and a lot of potential and a lot of athleticism who got beat out by a great player and who's and we just don't well, know if he's that well, good. Let's be we just honest don't know. here. Everybody keeps saying he got beat out. He got injured and lost his job due to injury. That's true. That's true. And and the guy that that replaced him was just beyond unfathomably right. good. I, I mean, that's the problem is that he lost it to injury. It's not that he didn't have the talent or didn't have skill. I mean, at the time he was trending in the right direction, kind of like an Andrew Thomas is now. So to me, it's like people say, well, he got, he lost his job. It's like, well, he lost it due to injury. He didn't right. get beat out. He lost it due to injury. I, I think the the through the lens of the what do we know what we don't know is I think we know who the in, the interior three offensive linemen are. We don't know if they're going to be great, but we know who they are. What we to me what we don't know about the upside of the offensive line to me is not. T- I guess my point here in this conversation in a very long roundabout way is that it's not just the right tackle we don't know about. I, I'm putting both tackles in there as we just don't know. We don't know what they're going to be as a package. We don't know how much they're going to need help at certain positions in certain games against certain opponents. We're just not sure what they're going to be. And right tackle is more glaring. And here's what's what's really interesting is during uh, the ones we're running on Monday, and I saw MPF and Jalen Duncan standing next to each other, and I was just like, man, like that's 700 pounds of dude just standing there that cannot be a factor right now at right tackle. And that's your third-round pick from last year and your fifth-round pick from this year. And neither well, one of them been, can be a factor. They've so. been putting Jalen Duncan in at right tackle last week. I think today, I mean, you were there, so I'm assuming by read today that he was at left tackle uh, with the second string, and Andrew Rupsich yes. was right tackle yes. with the second string. Yep. Yeah, the tackles were were Hubbard, Justin Murray, and Rupsich. I can't. Why can't I say his name? <laughs> Those three guys were rotating in at at, at right tackle with gotcha. Hubbard basically getting your first team reps. Um, yes, uh, Conti 101. Yes, there is an infinity gauntlet shooting the bird in the background. For those of you watching on YouTube, Twitter, check it out. There you go. <laughs> um, a question from Ed Henry. Isn't it? Isn't it about as much as you can trust your tackles to go one-on-one without sacrificing someone to chip? That That's really what this comes down to is do you have to max protect because you have deficiencies on both sides? Or do you max protect on one side? Is NPF good enough when he gets back? And one of the other conversations I asked a couple of guys today, I was asking Rex Road and Corey Curtis and a few other people, I said, does it change your predicted record for the first six games? And I think ultimately that's something that we're losing sight of. We can debate the right tackle position and how desperate they are and if Andre Dillard's going to be good or not. But I picked him to go two and four when they had a fully formed offensive line. 
I'm going to pick him to go two and four. <laughs> like, I'm not yeah, really. Yeah, I mean, like, for me, change. it doesn't really change much because you got DeAndre Hopkins. And what I think is going to happen with this offensive line is that I think your pass rush win rate stats and your maybe maybe some other stuff are are going to look bad. But in reality, like your raw stats, how many sacks and the sack rates and all that kind of stuff is going to look good because I think the offensive scheme and the addition of DeAndre Hopkins changes what you do on this offense. You don't. The problem was last year was that Todd Downing was asking Dennis Daly to block for like five seconds while Robert Woods and the NWI <laughs> were doing these deep routes down the field these long developing routes if you're using asking, their using their pure speed to get their open. pure speed now if you take deandre hopkins Traylon burks chica conquo you put those guys out there with cal phillips now back and you are asking andre dillard to block for two seconds instead of a multiple seconds then like you know dennis daly yeah, yeah. that can mitigate see it's not just for me about the talent of the offensive line it's about the offensive talent as a whole with a new scheme that emphasizing quickness and explosiveness off the line of scrimmage and getting the ball out quickly, which is totally different than what Todd Downing has done last two years. I think two things can be true. The offensive system will help the offensive line. The offensive line is more talented than last year. Maybe five things are going to be true here. Um, The the offensive line is better in general, has Mm -hmm. more talent and the passing offense will help that, that group. And they still might be the 22nd best offensive line. And listen, the 22nd so. from the thir- going from 32nd to 22nd is a might freaking be. godsend for this team. Might that is enough. a godsend. So your comment about Hopkins that leads me into something that I that I know. This is what I know. That the, the receiving core is going to be so much better, and they are going to force feed DeAndre Hopkins on short routes in the early part of the game, in the early part of the season. They are going to force feed DeAndre Hopkins the football on five far yard, five yard outs, four yard digs, 10, 12 yard outs on third and eight. Hopkins is your guy. Burks and Chig are the guys who are clearing out. Phillips is clearing out. It is about it is about force feeding the ball to Hopkins. He gets the ball in team drills on the first or second snap almost every time. He's catching two or three passes on the sidelines almost every time. I've only been out there for like three of the eight practices, but every team drill, every red zone, every Two minute, every single one, 10, 10, 10, 10, 10, 10. They are throwing him the football. They're throwing him to, th- throwing it to him early, and they're not using him. In my opinion, they're using him the right way, which is mm-hmm. short, quick passing game, short, dependable routes where he is going to win one-on-one battles more times than not off the line of scrimmage. So oh, I, I just I, know I, they're better there. Yeah, they're they're 100% better and they're treating him like a wide receiver one and he is he's just accepting the role and like he he should. And I I at the end of the day, I think that everybody's prediction of how many targets he gets and how many yardage like when he signed everybody's like, "Oh, well, he'll probably get like a 1000, you know, and he'll probably get this many targets or whatever." To me, it's feeling like it's a 150 target season like because that's what that's what they're doing, right? They are just every day at practice. It is Ryan Tannehill, DeAndre Hopkins. DeAndre Hopkins made another catch, or DeAndre Hopkins made a catch over two people. He went up for the ball, and he did this, and he did that. And it's every drill, every play, every 7-on-7, 11-on-11s every day. And that's what you want. And listen, Tim Kelly, he knows how to force feed either Brandon Cooks or DeAndre Hopkins. And you got DeAndre Hopkins, and he knows how to force feed a wide receiver and come up with plays. So, 
I, I'm, I'm with you. I think that we know yep. right now that DeAndre Hopkins is what everybody thought Julio Jones was going to be, is what everyone has been wanting since A.J. Brown got traded. DeAndre Hopkins is the real deal, and he he is out to prove he, something. He, and he elevates everybody around him, offense, mm-hmm. defense, scheme, Burks, Chig, whatever. But I don't think fans should expect like 13, 14 yards a catch. I think it's going to be eight to 10 yards a catch. I think it depends on what, how many he gets afterwards. I, which, and again, he's not a huge guy for that. That's where I, what I think they want to do is they want to get Chig and Burks the ball on first and second down in space to, for Yak and down the field in, in ISO situations. And I think what they want from, from Hopkins is short, easy passes on first and second, and then the critical catch on third and seven. They, they want Hopkins over the middle on those bench routes, on those drag routes. They want to put him in ISO situations where he can win on, on third and eight because they don't expect him to get past the catch. They, they want to throw him the ball at the sticks, have him be in first down territory and move the chains. I, I don't, I would, I would guess like, again, this is purely random. I wasn't planning on doing this, but I would say, like 78 catches for like 790 yards and a, and a handful of touchdowns. But like, I think it's going to be around 10 yards a catch. So I don't. Oh, I think he's getting way more than what you just laid out there. Maybe. I mean, like, maybe. Yeah. I mean, he's, but he's they're, they're not targeting I, I, him down. The I'm field. not talking about the yards per reception or, or stuff like that. I'm talking about like the 700 something yards and all that. I mean, I think he's going to go the way, the way that they're moving this offense essentially around Deandre Hopkins really feels like, He's gonna get blow those by, okay. but okay. um, I don't think I, AJ Brown, did AJ Brown ever have more than eighty catches? Uh, no, but this is a totally different offensive no, scheme, yeah. totally different play callers, um, different histories to pull from, and all that kind of sure. stuff. Sure, um, I will say this: that here's what I know. Jonathan Ward's making this team, and he's making it really easy for the Tennessee Titans to cut Hassan Haskins. He so uh, so quick. I'll let you go on that for a second, but quickly today. So they did the one-on-one tackle drill where you start facing the opposite direction, which is a really fun drill, by the way. It's, I think it's the modern version of like Oklahoma or Big Cat. And so they 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 put you on the line of scrimmage facing the opposite direction. Yeah. You have to run around a cone, and then you go back and you have one move to make, and the other person has to wrap you up. And there's always like ooh and ahing when someone makes a move, right? Somebody gets torched or somebody does this and. One of my favorite lines from the coaching staff is like, know who you are. One cut and go to like, you know, to like Trayvon Wesco and Kevin Rader. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, know who you are with Kyle Phillips. It's like, make a miss, make a miss. You know, like they're giving different advice to different players, of course. So Ward gets in there and they go, no, no, no. Monty Rice, get in there. Monty Rice, get in there. Monty Rice gets in there and Ward gives him one hip shake and he's flat footed and he goes around him and the whole place goes, oh, you know, one of those for, for Ward. And I was like, wait a second. Who is 33? There's two 33s out there. What are we doing? I'm like looking at my thing and I'm going, oh, that's right. That's Jonathan Ward. And sure he's enough, just almost sh- a touchdown every practice. And he's doing these moves like you're, you're talking about all the time. Uh, the, the Jonathan Ward tra- hype train uh, started up while you were gone. So, uh, <laughs> uh, but um, to me, it seems like it's Jonathan Ward, Julius Chestnut and Hassan Haskins is an easy cut. I, That's just what it feels like to me. I I I know that Jonathan Ward is making this team because this he he played some for them last year down the stretch in the regular season. People forget that. 
And and so he's already got regular season action for the Tennessee Titans. So he, he's done something that some of the other running backs that have came through, kind of like a Makai Sargent, ha- have, haven't had yet. So they he's already kind of been around. He's kind of already been on the team. So to me, Jonathan Ward is your wide or is your running back that is right now number three on the depth chart. Like, and I Chestnut think if they had, came out with a well, they will come out with the depth chart this week, right? For the yeah, and, and game. Chestnut had the fumbling problems last year, right? Yeah, or, or was that Sergeant? Yeah. I think it was Chestnut that had the fumbling. Uh, so problems. I think, yeah, well, no, I think Sergeant had the fumbling Sergeant? problem in the okay. preseason. But okay. if we when we see a depth chart, I would expect I don't know if they're going to do the thing where they always put the rookies, and that would be something I'm going to talk about tomorrow. In fact, I was just thinking about that. Uh, but. I don't know if they're going to put the rookies all the way at the end like they always do or whatever. I wouldn't be surprised to see Jonathan Ward either right behind Tajay Spears, if Tajay Spears is number two, or number two if they put Tajay Spears in the very back like they always do. So I think Jonathan Ward is going to be right there. I know Jonathan Ward is making this team. Uh, I'm going to, I'll package the last two conversations we've had, and it's sort of an I know and I don't know at the same time. I know five of the receiver spots. Everybody knows those five. Uh, uh, I, and according to Mike and uh, a couple of other people that have said, Mike doesn't think that NWI is a lock for this roster. And I think I, that's I, absolutely asinine. I think he is. I think it's Reggie Roberson, Colton Dowell, and Racy McMath and a handful of other people for that that last spot. I don't and think Racy McMath has a, has a chance. So, he, so Willis made a really nice throw in the red zone on Monday. Uh, in a really tight window down and low to where it had to be targeted to a pretty good route by racing McMath in between double coverage, really nice throw by Malik Willis hit, hit racing McMath right in the chest on the ground in the end zone for a touchdown, dropped it. Like the guy just, uh, he doesn't even, sometimes the drills, he doesn't, he gets corrected on the drills still. And if you're in year three and you can't do the drills, like it's just, I just don't see McMath and being a part of the team, even though we all want him to be because of his speed and size and everything. The guy who keeps making the guy who keeps making plays, he did it again today, is Reggie Roberson. He's the guy, the guy made two, Reggie Hive stand up. The guy made two big plays today. Once in the red zone, he caught a touchdown, and then one uh, out in the in the in the full team drills, which they did not do much of on Monday. He made a couple of big plays. Uh, if you see it, if you see talk about the Colton Dow touchdown in red zone, don't don't acknowledge that as a good play. It wasn't his fault, but like. Will Levis drops back, makes a really nice throw. To that Reggie. was supposed to be a sack, I think, right? It was a sack. It was absolutely a sack. It was a broken play, and it was way after the fact, and Levis threw it because Dow kind of broke his route off and ran to the back corner of the end zone. But the, the play before that was a very a perfect throw from Will Levis over a running back and a linebacker in the flat to Roberson at the front pylon. Perfect touchdown. I mean, it was a great throw, great catch, good route. Um, I, right now, I think they want Colton Dow to be the guy because of the size and the physicality, but I think Roberson's slightly ahead. So, uh, I- anyway, uh, the thing that I, the thing, <laughs> the thing that I know, and I know you guys touched on this, but I said it about, um, about three weeks ago when camp started or two weeks ago when camp started, I said, Will Levis is light years ahead today of where Malik Willis was at this time last year. And I said, by the end of camp, Will Levis will be your number two. I think we are already there. I think he, I think so, I saw. Do you it. believe in the Levisance as well? I believe in the Levisance. I, I think it happened before the two big games, the two big days of practice last week that I apparently missed. Two minute drill today. He was in control. They went right down the field in com- kind of complete management of the situation. They went right down the field, got into field goal range, 
and we'll get to something we don't know, which is the field goal kicker. Um, the field goal kicker was sh- the wind knocked it down and it was short and it banged off an upright and they missed. Malik Willis then takes the team and kind of makes one beautiful throw. And I think this is the the problem with Willis. He makes the one beautiful throw and you go, wow. And then the rest of the game, he's not managing it. He's not managing the rest of it. And Vrabel had to like verbally out loud, like get him to move along. And then the drive stalls out and they don't get to do anything. And then Vrabel actually talked about it in the press conference. I, yeah. I think, I think Will Levis, if it has not already happened, it is happening this weekend. It's happening as soon as we see them in real reps against the team like Chicago this weekend. Will Levis is your number two quarterback on this team. I think he is light years ahead of where Willis was last year. And I just, to me, it's maybe it's confirmation bias here, but everything I've seen in practice is that he is clearly the second best quarterback on the roster. Yeah. I mean, I talked about it today at stacking the inbox.com, uh, did a video for where, and we'll talk about this on Thursday more in depth, but how to watch a preseason game if you are interested in camp battles. Because if now if you're just a fan that's just watching because you just want to see a bunch of players play and you just don't really care who makes the 53 or whatever, you're just I like football. I like football. I like football, <laughs> which is fine. Uh, yeah, it's I, great. I'm not trying to bash that or anything. But right, right. if you are looking for signs and stuff, this is going to be the weekend where you actually take away, get takeaways from what everybody's seen in camp to what you can now see, right? So, like, for me, I'm looking at these two guys through the lens of I need to see Malik Willis be better than he was last year in the preseason. And does not matter if he's playing with the twos or playing with the threes. Does not matter about the offensive line. I need to see Malik Willis make quick decisions, have good footwork, and have good command of the huddle coming in and out of the huddle and getting the team up to the line and set. And that's that's what I need to see. But I also need to see that from Will Levis. And yeah, yeah, that yeah. that is that's where you compare the differences of the quarterbacks. Not because, well, you know, Malik Willis played with a with a, a no, worse that. off line than Will Levis. No. We're not doing that this year. We that, did a lot of Logan Woodside and Malik Wills. We're not doing that this year. That was the difference. Again, very small sample size just today on a Monday. That was the difference. Will Levis managed the two-minute drill the way you want to see a guy manage the two-minute drill, getting the offense or sense of urgency to the line of scrimmage, getting people lined up, making the right read, etc. And Willis didn't. He made one beautiful throw. It was a great throw, but like didn't make didn't didn't do the other stuff. And I, I think you're, you know, we can save some of this for Thursday. I think you are going to see a Malik Willis that's better than last year's Malik Willis, but I don't think that's I don't think that's better than Will Levis. <laughs> and, and that's and that's fine. So, like to me, you know, you're going up against the twos and going up against the threes more than likely for the majority of the game. These quarterbacks will for the next three weeks, right? These are simplified versions of defenses. This is a simplified version of the offense. They don't pull out all the tricks. Your yeah. opponents do not pull out all the tricks. So if Malik Will still struggles with diagnosing and making decisions against the second string team, second stringers and third stringers of simplified defense, and if Will Levis holds on to the ball and the game moves too fast for him as yep. well, yep. then you ha- that's what you got to take away because these are simple. These are 
easy offensive plays for them to call and execute versus defenses that aren't trying to like disguise, you know, right. 30 different things and try to throw a kitchen sink at you. So you got you got to take away the offensive line, the pass catcher cuz they'll play with both sets, right? Those at some point during the preseason, they'll they'll have their chance with third string, second string and vice versa. It's the quarterback versus the defense and versus the actual execution of the play. So um, Zach asked this, who gets the start, the quarterback start on Saturday? We will discuss on Thursday. I don't think it matters who gets the start per se, air quotes there, finger quotes. I think there's only one thing we could we could learn about the way they use the quarterbacks, and that is if Will Levis starts for four drives, is out of the game, and Willis plays the rest of the way. That's when you know Will Levis is number two, but I don't think that's going to happen. I think they're going to alternate. I would assume alternate quarters or yeah. alternate yeah. drives or alternate yeah. halves. Yeah, that's what I, I would assume. I, I would agree with that, and we'll discuss a little bit more about what we think they should do on Thursday with, with that as well. Here's what I do know. Also, Sinker's Beverages is the number one liquor store in Middle Tennessee. Voted the number one liquor store in, in Nashville last year by the Nashville scene. You can go vote on Best Of right now for all of the great shows on the 440 Sports Network and all the great reporters and the voices that you hear, such as Zach Lyons, if you so choose to go vote. To go vote. Uh, Sinker's Beverages, of course, in East Nashville. You can Uber Eats, search Sinker's Beverages, and they'll deliver the booze right to your house, Zach. They'll drive so you can drink. Make sure you sign up for the in-crowd, of course. They give you all kinds of good access to cool allocations and uh, special stuff that they get in that they don't give to everybody else. Uh, it's very, very cool. Go sign up. They'll track it, and they'll give you rewards, and they got special events and stuff that we're going to be doing here so soon. I've got some stuff in the works, Zach. Um, and, of course, their sister store, Bluegrass, is going to be involved potentially as well. So we've got some cool stuff that we're working on. So make sure you go check out Bluegrass and shop there in hendersonville the kingston group buildkg.com i know that they are the people you should talk to and have a conversation with before you make any big decisions about your house nashville's custom home award-winning custom home and remodeling firm nose to tail you know exactly what you're getting yourself into when you use them full complete price point i know a couple of people that have done some major renovations with them extremely happy five-star karen's karen review you know what i mean yeah the only people that write yelp reviews are karen's we just want reviews on the, on the podcast. That's that's all we want. So uh, five stars only, please. Uh, otherwise, what else do you know? Oh, you want me to go? You want me to drop one in here? Oh, I, I got one right here. Got here's, one? Yeah, here here's what I know. That Mike Vrabel is a champion of coaches on his staff trying to get different opportunities and to be recognized. This plays into Terrell Williams, but also Tony Dews, right? So uh, Coach T or Big T, I think is what they call him. Um, is going to get the head coaching, you know, versus the Bears. A couple of years ago, he did it with Stretch when he got, uh, when Vrabel was diagnosed with COVID. But he's putting Big T out there to a guy that he recently promoted to assistant head coach in the offseason. And he's putting him out there, trying to put him in a, a bigger spotlight, so to say. And he's doing that also with Tony Deuce. Nobody talks about that. We, we did at the time that he got promoted, but he's trying to get Tony Dews now at the tight ends. He's coached running backs before. He's coached wide receivers in other jobs as well. They're going to give him the opportunity to go tight end because tight ends usually go, that's who your OCs typically end up being are tight end coaches. So they're, they're trying to get him promoted and everything. So what I know is that you put in the work, 
for someone like Mike Vrabel, you are going to get the opportunity to flex or, you know, shine or do something. He's going to try his best to reward you yeah. and put you out in the spotlight. And Avening says on here, will, will Vrabel not coaching affect how the quarterbacks are played? No, because your offensive coordinator is still there. Yeah, and 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 also part of the so I think there's a lot of different things here, and I think it's interesting, and I think it's a very complimentary thing for Mike Vrabel to do. So everything Mike Vrabel, just so you don't know, Terrell Williams is the assistant head coach, the defensive line coach. He will be the acting head coach on Friday, the day before for preparation, and then the, the day of against the Bears on Saturday. So he will become the acting head coach. Mike Vrabel says he wants to work on the more hands-on stuff and actually coach. Because here's a couple of things, Mike Vrabel of all the coaches in the NFL. Who do I trust the most to not need reps to manage a game? It's Mike Vrabel. I don't think he, nobody knows the rule book better than him. Nobody knows when to do the right thing on fourth down better than him. Doesn't mean it always works, but largely he makes the right decision, the right risks at the right times. He knows how to take fake penalties when he needs to. Like he doesn't need any game reps to like be up to snuff on how to run a game. So turn that part over. You know what he is really good at? Teaching Jaden Peavy a second pass rush move. So, like, that's what he's going to do is be on the ground working with those right tackles, for example, on their pass pros in the middle of the game and on Friday as well. So that's that. The, this is, to me, a perfect example of what Mike Vrabel is at all times. It is a short-term plan and a long-term plan always at the same time. He's always looking at both sides. He's looking at both the short-term solution to here and the long-term plan for there. It's why Chris Harris is on the team as the defensive backs coach. It's it's how he developed Arthur Smith. It's it's. I mean, it's how Tim Kelly was is the offensive coordinator. He is constantly looking for the short term and then to develop his people, coaching players, front office, whatever, to for the next thing as well. And that's I, I agree with you. That's exactly what he's doing here with, with Terrell Williams. And and Avinning, you know, did say that like, gotcha, thanks. Stop very but would choose who plays when. That's probably already gonna be chosen by then. I don't think that will be I don't think there'll be up a for discussion or anything about who's playing when and what the game plan is. It's not stepping away from the game planning aspect of it. He's just stepping away from the, the, the game management side well, of it. And, and let's be very honest. If one of his offensive linemen, hypothetically a right tackle, who's a borderline rosterable player who happens to, in the middle of the game, commit a flagrant, ridiculously terrible penalty on the sidelines you don't think Mike Vrabel's going to step in and yank that player out of the game? Like, well, I, I I would imagine Coach T, you know, will probably anyway. I mean, I'm just he, he may that. give Coach T a beat or two to do it himself, but, you know. Jamar, Jamarco Jones, you had your yeah. chances. You, you, yeah. you, got, you do stupid shit that hurts the team, you're out. <laughs> That's how that works. Um, here's what. Here's something else that, that I know. The D, I'm not sure about the offensive free agents outside of Hopkins. I'm not sure yet. I want to see. As I mentioned, I don't know about the offensive line. I know that the defensive free agents are going to make a large impact, that the defensive free agents are already entrenched in their roles. Uh, now, Aziz Alshir and T.R. Tart both left the practice field today with what looked like minor injuries. T.R. Tart walked about three feet past me, limping, looked like favoring the right leg a little bit. He left a little early, and Alshair left a little early as well. His right elbow had been wrapped and taped, so I, I, who knows if those are long-term. They could be nothing. But Aziz Alshair, Arden Key, I know you guys talked a lot about Arden Key last week, uh, and Sean uh, Murphy Bunting, all three of those guys are locked into their positions. I know Daniel Brunskill is as well, and Andre Dillard is as well, but we know less about them. I think zero at corner, uh, 49 on the edge, and number two in the middle, 
those three defensive free agents are locked into their spots. And I think all three have elevated the vocal leadership on the defensive side of the ball to match Chris Harris's intensity, the defensive backs coach. I think all three of those guys are going to be upgrades on what they had last year, mostly because Landry didn't play last year. But I think those three guys are upgrades. And I think we're going to see noticeable impact from those three. I have no clue about the offensive free agents, but I feel really good about the defensive free agents so far. Well, and I want to tie into the defense with a kind of two no's and a don't know that kind of tie and probably put a bow on this before we head to the SEC. Fulton is playing with a chip on his shoulder. And Danico Autry is the key to this entire offense, in my opinion. But what's interesting about Autry and what's interesting about Sean Murphy Bunting, one of the guys that you talked about, and Arden Key, is that I wonder if the hybrid nature of like Sean Murphy Bunting, Elijah Molding, Molden, uh, Danico Autry, and a little bit of Arden Key flair in there as a little bit of a hybrid guy means that they can carry less defensive positions and carry more offensive positions. Maybe they carry five tight ends or seven wide receivers because of what is happening with Danico Autry. And I want to bring up a stat. PFF always likes to take craps on the Titans, and all the stat nerds hate the Titans, right? Warren Sharp and all those guys. But there is a new episode for the athletic football show with Robert Mays and him and Nate Tice predict the NFL's top 10 defense for 2023, and they put in the Tennessee Titans at number nine. And the the one of the biggest nuggets or little stat factoids in there is when Danico Autry was on the field last year, the Titans' defensive success rate was the best in the NFL. Danico Autry is a huge factor for this Tennessee Titans defense. And I think that if if he stays healthy and Jeffrey Simmons, if your key pieces on every level stays healthy, this defense is going to be even better than what it was last year because it will be better in pass defense than what it was last year. Yeah, I, I think I'm I'm interested and excited about the secondary in terms of its versatility. I still need to see some things. I don't know if Christian Fulton's a true number one. I don't you know, know where Roger McCreary and Elijah Molden fit in full time. Like I, I like all of those pieces, but I don't know exactly what they're going to do with them. The things I, the thing I know is if the rotation and the front line stays healthy, it will be one of the best defensive lines in the NFL. Like I, that's if you're including Arden key and Harold Landry in that group, along with tart again, if they stay healthy, Simmons, Autry, it's one of the best groups. And I think Aziz Alshair will be the biggest beneficiary of that because it'll give him a lot of free lanes to play around in. And it's why you can play guys like Jalen Brown and David Long, who are undersized, who can play inside the tackle box, because Jeffrey Simmons and T.R. Tart and Danico Autry are eating up all those blockers. So uh, I do know that the defensive line is great. I, I know that. <laughs> um, here's, one that here's one I don't know, and this is not really a, a long conversation, Zach, but we saw somebody miss a field goal in two minutes today. So I got to mention it. I have this no clue. This is a 53-yarder, right? Um, uh, no, uh, maybe, no, they, it yeah. was kicked from, it was kicked from the 28 yard. It was a 45 yarder. So uh, they, someone they kicked, said, they said it was a 50. It was it because the Malik Willis drive where he couldn't get stuff. The Levis drive ended with a uh, 50, drive. 45 yard field goal. That was, gotcha. um, that was, that was bounced the, off the, the Levis, the Levis drive. They was a 53 yarder. That was short. 
Okay, okay, sorry, the, the will, the will, the will is drive. The will is drive was drive. short, but against the wind, the wind picked up at the end of practice. So there was a lot of wind there. Okay. It's 53 yarder. The the one that was 45 yarder was off the upright, I believe. That was 28 kick from the 28 yard line. It okay. was the Levis drive. They got up there real efficiently, got to the ball, had a perfect shot to kick a game winning, what would assume to be practice here, game winning 45 yard field goal. Is that, shoot that, is some, that is something you're supposed to do in the NFL. And I don't know if either kicker can handle the pressure moment. I don't know who's better between the two. They've both been pretty good, but I still have no clue what's going to happen when the lights come on and they have to actually go out there and make kicks. I, I just don't know. And I don't, I don't think, I don't know if the staff knows, honestly. Wait, so. Was Shudek the guy that missed um, those kicks? I can, I can double check. I, didn't, I don't remember seeing any, any Trey Wolf, like nine for nine or. If you give me a second. So I think there was somebody who was nine for nine and then missed off the, if you give me two seconds, I can check. Shudek was nine for nine and Shudek was the guy that missed the 53 yarder. I, this is the first time I'm hearing about our, noticing or reading about the 40 something yarder that you're just hold and hold. I'm, I'm holding i'm also eating up airtime so <laughs> why you look um but i don't know if i'm too concerned with the kicking situation yet i i think i'm with you i have to see it in a game for me to really you know buy into one or the other being better than the other i think they may almost be like Twins like Danny DeVito, Arnold Schwarzenegger twins, like you know, that that kind of twins. All right. So um I don't know who kicked the 53 yarder, but it was missed. That was the one that the wind knocked down. Caleb Shudek's 45 yarder. Shudek the, missed both of them then. on the Levis drive was no good, hit the left crossbar. So there you go. So I don't think Trey Wolf practiced today, did he? I, I didn't see him out there. Well, no, I number uh no, well, I saw Stonehouse out there. Yeah, I was about to say I don't think they've been doing this weird thing where like they are, they're only bringing out one kicker out. They've done that a couple of that. times now, so I don't know what what the deal is. With that. Either but today way, was all either way, things I don't know. Kicker, what does what does the return game? What does special teams? What does coverage? What does the field goal kicker look like? I don't know. Don't know. One's gonna be really tall, and the other one's really short. I know that. That's about yeah. it. Yeah. So, um, okay. All right, go to Sinkers, go to Kingston Group, go to Bluegrass. You guys know the deal. Support local business, stackingtheinbox.com, all the other great shows across the 440 Sports Network, Broadway sports media, as well as football and other F-words. Okay, um, quickly here in the SEC, if you didn't notice, <laughs> Zach, I'll let you ask some questions here, but uh, Oregon and Washington are going to the Big Ten. Uh, the four corner schools, as they are called, which is Arizona, Arizona State, Utah, and Colorado, those four are going to the Big 12. And that means the Pac-12 has four teams left. They're on life support. So why does why does this matter to the SEC? Well, the Big Ten's getting bigger and stronger and better. They already make more money, so that's important to note. Um, but really, the and we'll get to the playoff implications. But really, the ACC can't be picked apart yet for another like eight eight or nine years. So if you're looking at Clemson or Miami or North Carolina or Florida State, the SEC doesn't have to make any moves. So if you're an SEC fan. Don't rush into anything here. You are good at 16. You have 16 of the best teams in America. You, you're still connected in a footprint. You don't look like the Big Ten where you're all over here and then like like three guys over here um, on the other side of the country. You're still connected. All your states are attached. You still dominate the South, which is the best recruiting footprint. There is no need to rush anything. The SEC does not need to respond to this. They just need to sit at 16, play the long game, and watch what happens with the college football playoff committee situation and the playoff format. That's that's going to matter. But by and large, this should not have an impact on SEC fans. Don't panic. 
don't don't get on message boards and talk about how you need to go get Clemson in North Carolina. You don't. Uh, the the SEC is good right where it's at for the short term. Well, I I got um a, a couple questions for you. So my first my first question is when are they going to change all these names? Because there's no <laughs> way you could st- st- stay with I the know. Big Ten and the SEC, right? Is this eventually going to lead? And this is a bigger non SEC football question, but isn't this going to lead to NCAA West and NCAA East or the NCAA North, North and South know, North South, you know, this is, this feels like it's leaning towards yes. an almost NFL like division of conferences and stuff like that. Because at this point, your Southeastern conference, I mean, is Oklahoma really Southeast? I mean, like a rever- I mean, that seems like no almost. So and then you, of course the big 10 is like not even 10, it's hardly ever been 10 schools. It feels like, and then the big 12 pack 12, I mean, all this stuff just feels like it's all going to be four big divisions that are like, maybe, I don't know how you North central or something like that. There'll be two because here's the other thing. The sec wouldn't, and this would be my advice to them. They would never want to change their brand. Sec is such a powerful brand that I think the only way they would change their brand is if it is truly North and South. Yeah. Like instead of like AFC, NFC, if it's North and South and you just call it the Northern conference and the Southern conference, then I think they'd be fine with that. Cause then you can call yourself the South and still have that sort of sense of just means more. It can have that regional pride thing that, that the sec cares so much about what's funny about the big 12. And I'm double checking this. I, I want to say that the last time that the big 12 was actually 12 teams. (laughs) It feels like it's been a while. I want to say it was 2000 and like, when did A&M and Missouri leave? 2012? I think, no, they added TCU in West Virginia and they were at 10, I think. I'm not sure when the last time they had 12 teams is, to be honest with you. Uh, Like, seriously. Yeah. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Yeah, I think it was like before they lost Nebraska and Missouri and Colorado. Um, so now, of course, Colorado is coming back to the Big 12. So they're going to go from 10 teams two years ago to 14 this year. Then they're going to lose Texas and Oklahoma and be at 12. But then they're going to add four more and be up to 16 in 2024. The Big 10, of course, is just adding all four teams from the West Coast, the biggest four brands, which is a very big win for the Big 10. So it does make the Big 10 more formidable against the SEC from like an actual football standpoint, because Washington, Oregon, both have made the playoff. Uh, Other teams in the Big Ten have not. You've got USC and UCLA, which are big football brands, USC primarily. So there is a a, a genuine increase in football quality into the Big Ten, which is big news. Here's the only thing I think that matters in the short term for the SEC. And that is, if the rules change about how you get into the playoff, that could affect the SEC. And probably in a good way. So hear me out on this right now. It is six automatic bids into the playoff out of 12 starting in 2024 next year, the highest six conference champions. Well, with the PAC 12 dissolving essentially in the middle of next summer, there's a chance they reduce that to five and make it seven at large spots, or they reduce it to just the 12 best teams. There's been talk about it going to just the 12 best teams. And if they do that, either of those two things, that opens up another spot for the SEC to potentially snag another spot in the playoff. 
they're going to have just as many teams vying for that extra spot or two extra spots or three extra spots, whatever that is. They're going to have as many teams vying for that as the Big Ten would or as the Big 12, if not more. And so if you're a team in the SEC that has a great year and traditionally you're not winning championships, 10 and 2 Ole Miss a couple years ago, 10 and 2 Kentucky a couple years ago, 10 and 2 Tennessee last year, you don't have to play in the championship game. You don't have to be top four. All you need is to have that one great year. And at 10 and 2, you now have an even greater chance of getting into the playoffs. So here, here, SEC. Yeah. Hey, just keep it up. <laughs> just keep trucking away. You know, being the best conference in uh, all of football and all of sports, really. So just keep on rolling. And the fact that TV has destroyed the Pac 12 now, TV money is eventually going to destroy the ACC, which is where the SEC will come in and pilfer some schools eventually, but that's not till like 2032 or whatever. Um, this is leading to what you're talking about that, that we are everything that has happened for the last five years. NIL, transfer portal, realignment, playoff expansion, every single thing is leading towards a two-team, two-conference breakaway, none of which will be governed by the NCAA, and it will not be an NCAA-sanctioned championship, which is not currently, and we're going to have two a two-division NFL-style 40 or 50-team breakaway. The problem with that, if you are an SEC fan of Missouri – or Vanderbilt, you you might be concerned about not being picked to make that threshold. That that yeah. would be my concern if I'm a if I'm a Vanderbilt fan, is you're not guaranteed to be one of the top 40 brands in college football. Like there's a there's a couple of SEC teams that might not be. And so that's the concern, I think. So. It'll be really interesting. I mean, this this whole conference realignment thing seems to be moving fairly quickly. You know, everybody's trying to outdo the other. Um I know that, you know, Memphis has put in petitions to join various of the Big 12, I believe is the Big 12. You know, it'll be interesting to see how this all shakes out in the end and who are the yep. the top 40 or top 50 teams and, you know, to make up all these different, com different conferences or realignments and all that kind of stuff. Like, if the Big 10 was to draw a line, I'm, I'm pretty sure, like, Indiana, Purdue, and Rutgers don't don't make it like they don't make it. They're not above the brand line because you'd rather have Clemson and Florida state, right? You'd rather have Utah than Vanderbilt because Utah makes more money than Vanderbilt. Uh, even as weird as that sounds <laughs> like, yeah. like Arizona state's probably a bigger brand than Vanderbilt. Honestly, like who, if Arizona state is number two in the nation and playing for, you know, they're 10 and one, people are going to tune in to watch that. Yep. I don't know if Vanderbilt can get to that point. So no, probably it's not. It's unfortunate. Um, listen, as someone who loved the Pac-12, I loved watching it. It's it's the best football on because it's late at night and my family's all asleep and I can watch, drink some liquor and that I bought at Sinkers, of course, uh, and watch late night Pac-12 after dark. It was my favorite football um, that wasn't the SEC. And so I'm sad to see it be destroyed. And I'm sad to see what's happening to college football. But this was always where we were headed. And the SEC is still contiguous. It is still footprint that is connected. I know you made a joke about Oklahoma, but it is Oklahoma owns Dallas Fort Worth, which is in Texas, which is a SEC footprint state that is attached to the all the SEC states, Missouri, Arkansas, Louisiana. So it's it's still attached, and it's still one sort of blob here that makes sense. Everybody else doesn't make sense. No, no. you now have you now have Utah and Colorado in the same conference as UCF and West Virginia, and the the baseball teams got to be like and basketball teams. I oh feel like God. are going to be going crazy, like o Oregon and Maryland in the. Big 10 yeah. conference matchup. 
it's just at least Texas, Oklahoma, A and M, you know, Missouri, right. like that makes sense. That there's some sense there. So yeah. the SEC is still doing it better than everybody else, and that yep. just just no panic, don't overreact. Uh, shop at Sinkers, use the Kingston Group, read stacking the inbox. Go to football and other F words, of course. Uh, I know you and Mike are back this week, and I appreciate you and Mike hanging out nope. next last week. Mike's off this week. Oh, my, of course, <laughs> of course. Um, do appreciate Stoney stepping in last week. Thank you so much. Thank you guys for for chiming in and commenting. We do appreciate it. We will be previewing an actual quote unquote football game on Thursday. That is quite fun. That is exciting stuff. How to watch a preseason game? We'll do that on Thursday. Otherwise. For Zach, I am Braden. For Sinkers and the Kingston Group, we, we appreciate you guys. Thank you for listening. We'll talk to you on Thursday. This has been a football show.